This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. If you're a guest this morning, I want to add to what Isabella said or my my echo to what she said. Man, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here this morning. We want you to know in the life of C3 that you really do matter. Uh, uh, Your future is our focus, and you are valuable, and you're important, and and we're grateful that you've chosen to hang out with us this morning, because after all, it is football season, (laughs) and that is awesome. I miss it. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you, how many UCF fans? How many UCF fans? Okay. Okay, that's awesome. Y'all put a spanking on somebody Thursday night. How many, how many Gator fans? Oh, that's sad. That's just sad. How many Seminole fans? Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are the rowdy people. We know. We know. How many Hurricane fans? One. God bless you, buddy. Be proud, dude. Stand with them. That's awesome. It's interesting. Okay, I need to ask this. How many Cowboys fans? That's awesome. That's the save. That's the save people in the room. That's the people that know Jesus. How many, how many Pittsburgh fans? Steelers? You're the people we pray for. That's awesome. We're glad you're here. It's interesting whether, whether it's sports or, or maybe you're not into sports. Maybe you have some hobbies or maybe, maybe you got some shows that you're into or maybe it's your career. But whatever it is in life, we all have different opinions. And we all have things we like and what things we don't like. But life is made for relationships. God created us for relationships. And the thing about relationships, the idea of relationships is beautiful. But so often the reality of relationships is brutal. We have an idea of what we want our life to look like, what we want our friendships to look like, what what we hope our marriage will look like, what we're chasing in our parenting and what we want that to look like, what we want our education to look like, our career. We We have all these ideas, the ideal. But sometimes the reality looks very different because relationships, no matter what kind they are, relationships are hard. They're challenging. Sometimes there's tension. Sometimes there's conflict. There are seasons we have to navigate hurt feelings and difficult things that happen, and we all have a past that we bring into every relationship, and it's just, it's just challenging. And then as parents, we're supposed to teach our kids how to treat people, but so often we're teaching a lesson we ourselves have not fully learned yet because relationships are challenging. And this morning, we're moving into Romans chapter 14. If you're a guest with us, we're going verse by verse through the book of Romans. Romans is an incredible book. It deals with who God is, chapters 1 through 11, who God is, how much he loves us, what he's done for us, how he's made it possible for us to know him in a personal way. That's who God is. And then chapters 12 through 16, who we are and how we're to treat others, and what we do about who God is and what he's done for us. And the reason it's so important, if you've been coming, you've heard me say this, if you're new, I want you to understand, the reason it's so important to really walk through the word of God and see what it says is, it's not just important to know what you believe. When life gets hard, you need to know why you believe it. And so often, we've been taught something in a church when we were younger, or maybe from a relative that's a Christ follower, and, and, and we know we believe this thing, but we have no idea why. 
And when life gets hard, you want to know why you believe what you believe. And we move into chapter 14 in Romans, and it's going to talk about relationships. Now, there's something I think that's important to understand. It's going to talk primarily about relationships in the church and how we view people. Remember, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter to the church in Rome. So it's written to Christ followers, and it's about relationships. I I did some research this week, and I discovered, hey, parents, that there are 2,184 arguments with your kids every year. On average, parents and kids argue 2,184 times a year. Now, some of you, some of you, it's way more. You're above average. You're you're thinking 2,184, that's a month. That's not a year. That's a month for us. Over half the arguments with parents and kids are over what they're going to drink or eat. Families, on average, families disagree six times a day. The average family will spend almost 50 minutes a day in arguments throughout the day. We have a hard time getting along sometimes, even with the people we love the most. And we spend a lot of our time relationally in conflict or upset or quarreling with somebody. It's just how we roll, but it's not new. It's not new. It's been around since the beginning of time. If you go back to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, the Bible's divided into two what we call books, Old Testament and New Testament. It's really just full of ancient documents, but they're fully the Word of God, inspired by God, all of His Word. The only book that has the ability to change our lives, Old Testament before Jesus, New Testament, birth of Christ, and after that. Old Testament, you go all the way back to the book of Joshua, chapter 22, and the Israelites, God's people are told, hey, I've got a promised land for you, and I want you to go in, and I want you to to take the land. And there were two and a half tribes that said, hey, before we cross the river, we we like the land here. Can we just hang out here? And Joshua said, okay, go with us into the land, help us conquer the land, and then if you want to come back and stay here, you can do that. And so they did that. They went in, they conquered the land, and then these these two and a half tribes go back across the river and say, "We're we're just going to stay right here. We love this. But then they thought, hey, one day in the future, The other tribes may look over here and think we're the enemy, so let's build a monument. Let's build an altar. Years go by, and one day, the other tribes look across the river, and they say, hey, those people have built an altar to a false god. They need to die. And so they send their priests first, and Phinehas goes, and he gathers the two and a half tribes together, and he says, hey, listen, you're about to die. It's going to be the judgment of God. And the people are thinking, why are we going to die? What are you talking about? because you built an altar to a false god. And they're like, no, 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 no. Hold on, let me say something, let me say something, let me say, hang on. No, 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 listen, you you need to hear, we built that altar to the same god, like we're on the same team. We built that so you would look at it and know maybe that, that we worship the same god. And so the priest is like, hang on. And he goes back across the river and he tells the armies who've all gathered, um, I don't think we're gonna need you today. Seems like everything is just fine. There's no issue at all. But way back in the beginning of time almost, people looked across borders at other people that they thought were different and believed differently and said, you need to die. It is the human condition. We size people up and make judgments. We look at other people and we decide, are you like me? Do you agree with me? Do you believe what I believe? And if not, you need to be erased. You need to go away. It's always been the story. But what are we as the church supposed to do? And how are we supposed to function 
as it relates to our church. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. There are some areas that Scripture does not speak to directly. Now, it's important to remember that even when Scripture doesn't speak to something directly, it does speak to how I'm supposed to live and function and think. These are the disputable matters, the things that are unclear, the things that might be kind of a gray area. And some people say, I love Jesus and I believe this about that. Other people say, I love Jesus and I believe this about that. One person's faith, verse 2, allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. I knew it. I knew it. I wish I'd known this verse when I was two. If you want to be weak, eat vegetables. I knew it. I knew it was in there somewhere. I'm kidding. (laughs) But look, look, it continues. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. What are they talking about? In that culture, some people would eat meat and some would not. But there was a reason for it. It had nothing to do with, oh, I think it's healthier if you, nothing to do with that. What it had to do with, meat was a rare commodity. There was no refrigeration. So the only way you could get meat is to buy it in the market. And the only way meat got to the market was usually after they'd sacrificed an animal. So for the Jewish people, they didn't know what was that animal sacrificed to a pagan god, maybe to Zeus. I don't want to eat meat that's been a part of a sacrifice to a false god. Also for the Jewish people, there's a certain way their food was to be prepared. Is it kosher? I have no idea how that was prepared. And so they were making the decision from a good place of, I don't want to eat meat that's been sacrificed to a false god or may not have been prepared in a way that we're supposed to prepare it. And then other people were like, ah, it's no big deal. It's ribs. Bring it. Like, it just, it just didn't matter. They, they were trying to figure out, how do we do this? And so Paul is speaking to this issue because what began to happen is, if you eat meat, you're bad. Or if you don't eat meat, you're bad. They did the same thing we've always done. They looked across the river and saw people that functioned differently and thought, you're bad. And so Paul's addressing this with them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master, servant, stand, or fall? And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. So how do we live and how do we love through the disputable matters? The first thing, C3, we need to know is we will accept every follower of Jesus. We will accept every follower of Jesus. People that you might think are spiritually mature, you're welcome here. People that you might think are spiritually immature, you're welcome here. Angie and I have five grandkids. And our youngest, Ellie, our youngest grade, she, she is the cutest seven-month-old you've ever seen in your life. She's my best friend. And Ellie is just adorable. She's running the nursery right now. But, but I need to tell you something this morning that's kind of unbelievable. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I don't want to tell you this. But at seven months old, she can't ride a bike. Can you believe that? At seven months old, you put her on a bike and she falls. It's like, well, never mind. It's ridiculous. She can't can't ride a bike. Now, here's the reality. Nobody expects a baby to ride a bike because they're a baby. No one's having conversations about it. Can you believe Ellie can't ride a bike? Like, nobody's really talking about that. Nobody's calling her parents bad. Nobody's rolling their eyes in disgust that Ellie can't ride a bike. It is to be expected because of her stage of development. We celebrate when she rolls over. That's freaking awesome. But she doesn't ride a bike yet. Hey, one of the things we need to remember, C3, 
In the last 10 months since we moved into this building, 168 people have given their life to Jesus, which is incredible. But you and I need to remember that means there are a whole lot of infants spiritually or toddlers spiritually in our midst, and we have a responsibility to love people where they are and don't expect infants to ride bikes. Don't expect people to agree with you about everything you think in life. It's not about being like you or me. It's about being like Jesus. And so we need to remember, before we look across the river and decide some people are bad because did you know they still talk like this? And did you know they wear that? And did you know they go to those places? And did you know they hang around with those kind of people? Before we go down that road, you and I need to remember, every single person you you and I lock eyes with is deeply loved by God, and you are no more special than anybody else. And you are no less special than anybody else. And so at C3, we are a spiritual family. We accept every follower of Jesus, no matter where you are in your maturity. I'll never forget one Sunday back when we met at the movie theaters years ago, this guy walked up to me. First time I met him, he'd come a couple of times and he walks up to me and he looked me right in the face and he said, that's the best damn sermon I've ever heard. There's a word you used right there and you really don't need, did I do that? No! I gave him a high five. (laughs) Say thank you. Listen, one of the things we need to do is let people be where they are in their growth, in their maturity, and not everybody's where you are. And here's the other part of it. One day, one this is gonna shock you. One day you're gonna get to heaven if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're gonna find out you weren't right about everything especially you Giants fans. You're going to find out, like, you you just didn't have it all down the right way. I had to. It's football season. But this is the reason C3 exists. Because people, when we come to church, we all, you know what we all do? We all bring our old selves with us in some areas. All of us struggle in some areas. People are in process. You are in process And we are called to love people where they are, not where we want them to be. Without quarreling over disputable matters. I don't know your story, but I grew up in church. And I've seen a lot of church fights. I grew up in churches where they had business meetings. And if you don't know what that is, you are blessed. Where people would fight about stuff. What color flowers are we going to put at the front? And who's going to be in the parking lot and who's going to make sure the people that smoke are far away in the parking lot. And like, they they just fought about everything. And church, we, we fight about a lot of stuff that really doesn't matter to people. Is it okay if you drink? Or is it okay if you don't drink? Is it okay if you wear a hat? on stage, because in some parts of the South, if you wear a hat indoors, you're being disrespectful. Like, is is it okay to wear hats or not wear? Cigars, how about cigars? Is it okay to smoke cigars? If you want to smell like an outhouse, you smoke cigars. But like, does the Bible say it's okay to smoke cigars? How do we dress in church? I grew up in a church where if you didn't wear a shirt with a tie, you were disrespecting God because you weren't bringing him your best on Sunday. I mean, the stuff that we decide, we, we look across at people who actually believe a lot of what we believe, and on the main areas they believe the same. They're trying to love Jesus, love God, and love others, and they're growing in their faith. We we look across at them and we say, you're bad because you drink, or you're bad because you you smoke cigars. Now, if you smoke the funny stuff, stop it. But but you're bad because you wear those kind of clothes. That four-letter word on your shirt, you're bad. And tattoos, oh, don't even get me started. 
Tattoo? I have a tattoo. So those of you who are in tattoos, you're like, oh my gosh, what's he about to say? Well, I grew up with some people saying, you're not supposed to wear tattoos. Leviticus 19 says, don't put a mark on your body. You're not supposed to wear a tattoo. That's the word of God. Leviticus 19 also says, don't wear any clothes with mixed linens. Leviticus 19 also says, if you're a man, don't cut the sides of your hair on your head and don't trim your beard. You don't live by Leviticus 19. Stop it. You just pulled a verse out of context and you're judging people based on something that's not even in the word of God. Leviticus 19, you're not supposed to have tattoos. Well, you may know Leviticus 19 in part, but you have not read Revelation 19, which says Jesus, when he comes back, will have a honking big tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think if Jesus gets a tattoo, it's all right. I think it's all right. And by the way, Leviticus 19, while we're talking about it, because you wanted to talk about tattoos, while we're talking about it, Leviticus 19 had nothing to do with the idea of a tattoo. It had to do with markings they would put on their body associated with pagan gods. Do not connect yourself or associate yourself with a pagan god. You want to get a Donald Duck tattoo? Go crazy. Mine's not Donald Duck, but if you want to do that, you need therapy, but you go crazy. But, but people that have tattoos, what do we do? We wrap our arms around them and we love them and we welcome them to the family of God. We're not gonna fight about stuff that ultimately does not matter and is not actually in the word of God. Some churches, well, if you drink alcohol, that's a sin. You're a liar. You don't know, there's not one place in scripture that says don't drink alcohol. Not one. Now listen, I don't have a right as a pastor I don't have a right, and neither do you as a follower of Jesus, to go beyond what Jesus said. I don't have a right to fall short of it, and I don't have a right to go beyond it. So I cannot say that drinking alcohol is a sin because the Bible doesn't say that. I can build a strong case on don't get drunk. The Bible says that. But I can't say don't, don't, don't drink alcohol. There people, alcohol has never touched these lips. What do you want, the Bucky Beaver Award? Who cares? I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that says alcohol can't touch your lips. Stop it. You're being immature. You're being ignorant. And you're judging people by a standard that God does not even judge them by. Stop it. See, we have a unique ability. It is in you and it is in me, in our nature, to pick people apart and to pick church people apart. And I'm concerned that we can be so full of opinions that we're not full of Jesus. And when we're full of opinions, people that don't know Jesus don't wanna be around us. And we lose our influence and our impact. We become judge and jury to what's acceptable and who's acceptable. And isn't it interesting that all of our standards, all of our expectations, they're always what you need to change and never what I need to change. I grew up with pastors talking about how bad drinking alcohol is. They never talked about gluttony and being obese, which is actually in the scriptures. They never talked about the fact that a fork can kill you as fast as a drink can kill you. They never talked about that. Because we pick on what other people are doing that we don't like. And we pick other people apart. We all have these things that we believe and in the, in the disputable areas, in the gray areas where you really, there's not chapter and verse you can quote in context and truth of what Scripture's saying. In those areas, there are things that we believe in. Maybe, maybe not. And so often it can deteriorate our community to nothing more than a debate at best or an argument at worst. And we get upset and we get angry 
and we fight over some stuff that really doesn't matter as much as we think it does. Because we bring our baggage. Listen, Angie and I, we have, we have four kids, five grandkids, four kids. We love each of our kids. We have, why do you have four kids? Because our motto was four and no more. We stopped at four. But we, we have four kids. And when we would put them in the car, I remember when they were little, younger, all six of us could not agree on what restaurant we wanted to go to. We couldn't agree on what type of music we wanted to listen to. We couldn't, listen, you sit your kids down, parents, you know this, you sit your kids down, okay, we're going to have movie night, what do y'all want to watch? Everybody wants something different. If we can't get a small family to agree on everything, there's no way we're going to get hundreds of people to agree on everything. It's not going to happen. There are some disputable issues, and Paul says, you're not going to agree on everything, and that's okay. He's saying in, the, in these gray areas, in the areas that we're not certain, you're going to meet a lot of people with a lot of different views, and they're going to think differently. And what they believe, they believe sincerely, and they, they hold deep. And you believe a lot of it is wrong, and a lot of it is incorrect. What do you do? Hey, C3, we are going to wrap our arms around them and say, welcome to the family. It is not about agreeing with you or me about things that aren't clear in Scripture. It is the weak person that loves their rules more than they love people. And so we're going to love people. And we're going to understand there are some things that we're just not sure about. Verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. You decide for you in the gray areas. You seek God, you pray about it, you do your best to determine what would honor God in my life. But, but in the gray areas, you worry about that for you. You put that on you. You don't put that on other people. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And that, that's, a, that, that's the problem. Shh. It's a secret. Don't tell anybody. But we're not supposed to live for ourselves alone, but we do. And this is where we mess the whole thing up. We think it's all about how I think and what I want and what I prefer. And we have confused our preferences with our convictions. And we view our opinion equal to what the Word of God says clearly. And we think we're right about all of it. But the Bible says, for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You decide for you. And there are going to be some things. Let's just talk about alcohol for a second because it makes people tense. Let's just talk about Listen, some of you, it's not a problem for you. you. You can have a drink. You can go to a restaurant and have a drink, and it's no big deal. Others of you, there's family history or there's history in your own life, and you know that you need to be careful with that. You decide for you. See, so often in life, we... We view right and wrong as, I want to be right, but how close can I get to the edge of wrong so I can kind of touch it, feel it, smell it, maybe enjoy it a little bit, but still be right? And the areas where we struggle, you walk that tightrope and you're going to fall. You're going to mess up occasionally. In the areas of struggle, in the areas where I'm weak, and those areas are different for me maybe than they are for you, the wise thing to do is not even get close to the edge. Create some margin. It's not about what's right and wrong. It's about what's wise. And so there are areas where, no problem, I can walk right here and I'm good, no problem at all. There are other areas where I need to be back from the edge. 
I have a propensity to fall into that. I need to be very, very careful. And you get to decide for you, but don't put that on other people. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Stop trying to make people think or behave a certain way that you're not going to have to answer for. You're going to answer for you. You focus on your life. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So we will accept every follower of Jesus. Another thing, our freedom is not a license for our judgment. Our freedom is not a license for our judgment. Use your freedom to love people, not to condemn people. Your freedom ends where it becomes an obstacle for someone else. Verse 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. That means right living. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Now this next part, listen. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Edification is encouragement on a soul level. Edification is the people that come around me and help me believe that I can live the life God created me to live. Edification is that consistent encouragement that's always there that, man, you, you, you don't want to miss the life God created you to live. You can do it, and, and we want to help, and we want to be a part of that. Now, what we do is we look for personal edification, not mutual edification. And we worry about, well, who's encouraging me? When we should be worried about, who am I encouraging? Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual, me toward you and you toward me, edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Some of you need to highlight that. Whatever you believe about these things, these disputable areas, these gray areas, the things that aren't crystal clear, keep that between you and God. It means shut your mouth. It means stop it. It means that's between you and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whatever, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We will accept every follower of Jesus. Our freedom is not a license for our judgment and we will sacrifice our freedoms for someone else's faith. We will sacrifice our freedoms for someone else's faith. As a follower of Jesus, I'm free. I'm free to enjoy life. I'm free to live the way God created me. I'm not bound. There's 633 laws in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm, I'm free above that through the grace of God. It doesn't mean I don't honor those, but the man-made ones beyond that are ridiculous. So I live in freedom. But just because I'm free, my freedom stops where someone else's struggle begins. So when I'm at a restaurant, I never order a glass of wine. 
I order vodka. No, I'm kidding. I don't order. I don't order. I, I don't. I don't order alcohol. I just thought I'd see if you're listening. I don't order alcohol. But I don't avoid alcohol because I think it's a sin to drink. I think I've been pretty clear about that. I avoid it because as a pastor, people bring their baggage in the background, and I don't know who's watching. And I've had occasion where I've talked to people who maybe had a father that was an alcoholic or someone that struggled, and for them it's a trigger because they had, maybe they didn't grow up in church, but there was a grandma that had a lot of faith, and that grandma said, hey, it's a sin to drink alcohol, and I, I just don't want to do anything that might confuse or frustrate or cause me to lose influence in people's lives. And so, now, if we're having dinner together at a restaurant and you, you want to drink wine, go crazy. Like, not 10 glasses crazy, but enjoy the one or two. But, but it, it's not an issue of you shouldn't. That is a for me thing because of the role I'm in and as pastor. And I just, I want to love people more than I love what I drink. And so I'm going to be careful in those circumstances. So where are the circumstances in your life that your freedoms, what you could do if you wanted to, that wouldn't be a sin, where your freedoms could cause somebody else to struggle or stumble. Be careful in those areas. You're having a birthday party at your house and you're inviting a bunch of people over and you know that your uncle struggled for years with alcoholism. Just don't have it. Like, did you know, I don't know if you know this, did you know you can have a party without it? And you'll remember it. (laughs) I mean, it's awesome. And you'll do stuff that you won't have to apologize for. But it's, it's, it, now, is alcohol in and of itself evil? No. I mean, if it was, Jesus would have said, don't drink, but he doesn't say that. Remember, it just means for some people to struggle, and you need to care about those people more than you care about your own freedoms. We need to love people where they are and be sensitive to what they may struggle with. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He doesn't say, I become all things to the people that agree with me. I become all things to the people I like. I become all things to the people that look like me, vote like me, like the music I like. I become all, no, I become all things to all people, no matter who they are, what they believe, that by all possible means I might save some. In the disputable areas, the, the unclear areas, this is not about giving into somebody's legalism. We don't give up our freedoms for legalism. Legalism is weak and it's wrong. But if you're ever doing something that's causing someone to stumble, and encouraging someone to dive into your freedom, where for them, your area of freedom is their area of struggle, you stop. You consider that person and where they are. If Jesus gave up his life for me, I can give up my right to that freedom in that moment around that person. See, the kingdom of God is not about what you wear, what you drink, where you go. It's about loving God and loving people in a way that honors God. Chase that. Be more concerned about what people will miss if you don't love them than what you have to give up to love them. Pastor, that's great, but I, I thought Jesus says we're supposed to judge each other. And then there are other people who say, well, no, no, no. I, I, I thought the Bible says don't judge. Yes to both. The Bible never says judge someone in the disputable things, the unclear things. But there are things that are crystal clear. There are things that the Bible speaks straight to. So how do we judge in the indisputable areas? How do we judge in the clear things? And before we go any further, I need to define the word judge because that word judge feels like a harsh word. This is not speaking of judge as judge and jury. Only the Holy Spirit gets to do that. This is judge in the sense of 
hey, I love you and I care about you and there's something in your life that is interrupting what God might want to do and it's very clear, Scripture speaks to this and so because I love you, I'm willing to have the awkward conversation and risk you being upset with me to say, hey man, you're better than that. I see this happening in your life and I don't want the harm that's going to come to you and your relationships, the harm that's going to unfold in your life if you continue down this path. I've been down that path or I have people close to me that have been down that path and so this is not judge in the sense that I sit above somebody and I pronounce what's right or wrong in their life. This is judged in the sense of I come up alongside of somebody to help lift them up from where they are and help encourage them and help them see what Scripture teaches and how they can live it. Matthew chapter 7. Because I meet people all the time. You know, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge anybody. Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge. Ha <laughs> ha, there it is, there it is, there it is. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. I I didn't say it. Jesus did. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying don't judge. He's saying don't judge others first, judge you first. He's, say, he's not saying don't pay attention to what's in somebody else's life that may harm them, that's sin in their life. He's saying you deal with you first and then you deal with your brother or sister who's struggling. Don't, don't focus on what's wrong in somebody else's life until you deal with what's wrong in your life. You get your stuff right with God, and then you can lovingly help someone else. So how do we judge others in the clear issues? If we're supposed to do that, if I, if I realize, hey, I've got to start with me, and I've got to deal with a pile of junk in my life before I deal with a little thing that I see in somebody else's life, how do I do that in a way that's loving, in a way that honors God? Well, just a few ideas. First, we judge Christ followers, not those who aren't. Don't expect people that don't know Jesus to live like they do. Don't expect people who don't know Jesus to treat people like they do. We come alongside Christ followers and help Christ followers live the life God's called them to live. But someone that's not a Christ follower, don't judge them. They can't live like they know Jesus if they don't. Also, we we judge clear sins, not disputable areas. There are, when it comes to our faith, closed-hand issues and open-hand issues. Closed-hand issues are the issues that we believe, and there's no negotiation, there's no debate. We are rock solid on this, like this does not change. Closed-hand issue, Jesus is the only way to be connected with the Father. There's no other way. Closed-hand issue is Jesus is the living Son of God. Closed-hand issue is Jesus left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine, and three days later rose bodily from the grave. Closed-hand issue. We're not debating that. That is rock solid. That is who we are. That is what we believe. There is no discussion about it. It's what Scripture teaches, and Scripture's clear. Open-hand issue. Should you drink or not drink? That's between you and Jesus and where you are in your life. What's wise for you and what your temptations are and will you take it further than it needs to be? It's about applying wisdom to your life. Another open hand, and and, and listen, we're not going to fight about it. Another open hand issue, tongues. If you grew up in church, you know what that is. If you didn't grow up in church, tongues, I'm I'm for that, I want to do that. No, it's not like that, man. It's not, not that kind of tongues. Tongues, in the Bible, it's a prayer language that 
uh, is words that you may not understand, and there's a whole study of tongues. Some people speak in tongues, some people don't. We're not fighting about it. It's an open-hand issue. We're not going to argue about those kind of things. Open-hand issue. Some of you, man, this, this, who you vote for. We're not freaking fighting about it because we're not voting for a savior. We have one. And we're not looking to the government to fix all of our problems. I'm not diminishing the importance. I'm not diminishing the importance of it. I'm just trying to elevate the importance of what really does matter before we look across the river and we decide those people are bad, those people are wrong, those people need to die. You do not say to half the people in the nation, you're the problem. That's freaking stupid. It's an open hand issue and people can do whatever they want to do between their relationship and God on the issues that there may be some gray area about. And we can be passionate about it, but we're supposed to love God and love others and love every single person God created, whether they vote like me or not. And that's just the truth. So we're going to judge on clear sins and not disputable areas. And in case you weren't, did he just say, yeah, I did? And I wanted to say a lot more, but I stopped. So I'm going to move on to the next one. How do we judge? Judge privately. Judge privately. Listen, if there's an area where I'm struggling and you call it out in front of a bunch of people, I'm defensive. I'm not listening and you've lost influence in my life. But if there's an area where I'm struggling and you come to me privately and you say, listen, I love you and I care about you. Here's what I'm seeing. I mean, how, how can I help? What can I do? Because I, I, know, I know you're better than that. You don't want to be like that. You have a lot greater chance to influence me and to help me. We do it privately. Number four, before you speak to anyone else, speak to the person. I'm so tired and weary of the Christ followers that I've known in my life that use prayer requests as an excuse to gossip about somebody. Oh, I don't know if you know what's happened. So, so-and-so needs your prayer. They're having an affair. and they're, What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, you, you don't have the backbone or the spiritual character to talk to the person. You're just going to talk about them. Stop it. Stop it. That doesn't help anybody. Because every single person that's not a Christ follower, you know what they do? I don't want to be a part of that group. If I ever make a mistake, you're going to tell the world, but you're not going to talk to me. I don't want to be a part of that. Listen, you, you, you talk. Before you speak to anyone else, speak to the person. Number five, it's for the other person's best interest to save them. If I'm going to have a conversation with somebody, a Christ follower, about an area that's crystal clear, an area that is straightforward, an area that is not in dispute, like husbands, how you're supposed to treat your wives, before I can have that conversation, if I see somebody screwing up, you know what I have to have with that person for that conversation to be effective? A relationship. It's why biblical community is so important. I need some people that will be in my life and in my corner. Some people that love Jesus and love me and will pray for me. And some people that we can build a relationship. And because of that, they have the right to speak into my life. There are people that speak into my life about things happening in my life. But when strangers try to speak into my life, or if you don't know me and you speak into my life, you know what I do? I consider the source. You don't know me. And so for this to work, you have to have a relationship with people. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons that you allow me the freedom to be me 
and you allow me to say some of the things I say from this platform. Because if you're a part of C3, you know that I love you. You know that you matter to me. I've never, I've never woken up on a Sunday morning. I've never woken up on a Sunday morning and thought, what can I say today that'll just tick a bunch of people off? I want to do that. How do I do that? But I have said some difficult things. And there are moments, listen, I, I get it. There are moments when my personality can get in the way. But there are other moments. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about other moments where I'm talking about something that Scripture says that is, it's a closed-hand issue. It is not up for debate. There's no dispute. If you've studied Scripture thoroughly, you know it. For example, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. The first 10% of your income, if you're a follower of Jesus, belongs to the local church, and we bring it back because God is our provider and our protector. And to not do that is to be robbing God. Closed-hand issue. So I'm going to talk about that. And for some of you, if you don't do that, it feels uncomfortable. But see, I think you're here because you want to know what Scripture says. But I also understand it's between you and God. You get to decide. And if you, if you don't do that, I love you. If you don't do that, you're welcome here. If you don't do that, like, I, I'm not tithing. I don't believe that. If you get sick and go to the hospital, I'll come visit you. I'm not going to take the expressway because you don't give anything, and that's too expensive. But I, I'll get there when I get, and no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm going to get there as fast as I can because your value is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. But I'm able to say things with freedom about what Scripture teaches. You get to decide what you do with it. And at the end of the day, if we disagree, I love you. I love you. C3, this is how we do family. And this is why family matters. Family is supposed to be something, spiritual family, that makes you better. It's supposed to be something that helps you live more like Jesus and helps you have an impact on the world greater than you would have. And I need to thank you because you do that for me. Who you are, you do that for me. I get way more out of seeing you every Sunday than you'll ever get from me in the few minutes I'm up here talking. Because I know your story, many of you. Those that I have the privilege to know. Some of you I know your struggles. I know what you wrestle with. I know where you've been hurt. And your faith and who you are, you encourage me more than you will ever, ever know. So thank you for being that kind of people. Thank you for not expecting me as a pastor to be perfect. Because I'm not. And by the way, if you're a guest and you're looking for the perfect church, please don't hook up with us because we're not, we're not the perfect church, but we have a perfect Savior. And we trust Him to love us and help us love people. We're all messed up. None of us are right about everything. And so our attitude toward every Christ follower is, I love you, and I'm so glad you're here. Our attitude toward every person that's not a Christ follower is, I love you, and I'm so glad you're here. In the clear areas, we're going to be clear. We're going to stand where Scripture stands. I do not have any right to change what God said. So I'm going to share what God says, and I'm going to love you enough to say, hey, anything other than that is not right and is not honoring to God. 
but I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to help. I'm willing to dive into your life. I'm willing to dive into your situation. What do you need from me? How can I help you? And that is the attitude of this family. And that is the attitude that permeates this spiritual family because you matter and you matter more than the things that we may believe that we're not sure about. You have that kind of value. This is how we do church. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for your deep, abiding love. It's big enough and deep enough and wide enough to cover any areas that we've blown it. Father, I pray as we roll through this week that we would love you and love others. That we would not value people based on how much they agree with us or disagree. That we would find the value in people simply because you created them and you love them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need in your life is to become a follower of Christ. You know that today you need to make a decision. You need to give your life to Jesus. I can't think of a better day to do it. And I also need to tell you that everything we talked about and how to live, hey, you can't do it and I can't do it without Jesus. It's not natural. It takes something supernatural. And that's the Spirit of God in our lives. And so maybe you know today you, you need to pray that prayer and invite Jesus to come into your life where one day you'll have a home in heaven, you'll have your sins forgiven, and you'll have the Spirit of God living inside you to help you live this stuff. Man, if that's you, let me lead you in a prayer. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. If that's where you are, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know that. Go ahead and text your name to 407-487-8311 and we would love to be praying for you. And hey, we just wanted to say thank you so much for your faithful generosity. If you're looking for more ways to give, go ahead and visit giveC3.cc and there you have several options to give. And if you're in the Central Florida area, we would love to see you here on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Come join us and we would love to see you here. And don't forget to subscribe.